Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 334, Dice Tower Awards 2021. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers, but especially our brand new Patreon backer, Robert Bowen. Thanks so much, man. You rock. All right, everybody, we are back, and we have chosen this timeline to join you with a brand new episode, <laughs> and in particular, the episode where the Dice Tower Awards were awarded and highlighted some great, great games out there. So, Anthony, you and I actually get to participate in this little shindig, right? Yeah, yeah, we've been on the uh, awards committee, as it's called. It's it's a Facebook group uh, for, yes. I don't know, like... <laughs> Seven or eight years. A lot of now. years. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Every year it pops up. I'm like, ooh, I forgot we have responsibility. This is we fun. do a thing. So, <laughs> yeah, it, it starts like way back in January, February, where we like submit things for nominations, and then everybody argues sure. over whether a game came out last year or the year before. <laughs> that's and pretty much it. A list. Yeah, and that that's most of it, honestly. And there's a list of nominations that we run through to narrow it down a little bit to the nominations you see now on the website, and then finally we get to vote. So, uh. We voted on these awards. We can tell you what we voted for when we talk about mm -hmm. it. Uh, not everything we voted for won, but there's a lot of good games here, so it'll be a lot of fun to talk about. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing better to talk about than board games, and especially board games that are awarded because they're awesome. And again, <laughs> good you know, due to the pandemic and everything else that's going on out there, you might have missed some of these great games. So um, this is going to be a good list for all of you to take a, you know, pay attention to because you might want to get those games to the table when you eventually do hopefully get to the table or hopefully get to the table safely. So Anthony, obviously a lot of good stuff that's going on. Uh, before we jump into all the board game cardboard fun out there, obviously there's a little bit of a Marvel action happening out there. And since it's IP related and board game related, at least as far as we would like to stretch it, uh, you saw the, uh, ending of Loki, no spoilers, we're not spoiling anything, but what'd you think about Loki? So, yes, I did. And I liked there it a lot. There you go. I don't know if I can say anymore, though. That whole episode is just one big spoiler, right? There's sure. not much you can say about the last episode of that show without just, I don't know, like even just saying that, it feels like a spoiler. <laughs> I don't know where people's <laughs> threshold is. Um, but I thought it was interesting. It, it capped it off interestingly. Uh, it makes me more excited for some of the stuff coming out in the next year or two. That's been sure. announced, and I don't know that I can say any more than that because Ooh. everything else is yeah related to the plot and uh, you know kind of future developments. Yeah, I think if you've been following through, and if especially you've, even if you just watched the trailer, I think you have a very good idea of the finale and even the series as a whole. It's kind of all out there. It's wild. It's basically mischief and mayhem throughout and it's some really great acting performances in this series and i've really i really yeah. enjoyed that i mean tom hiddleston as loki has been fantastic owen wilson obviously in that series has been great as well and i just i would just love this whole series just to be them to chatting away or backstabbing or kind of figuring trying to figure each other out so um you know it's been some surprises some twists and as, as you said some info dumps and things like that uh, no spoilers. I liked it a lot. I thought it was a good series. I did think the last episode, again, without spoiling anything, was just like, oh, okay. 
But again, yeah. <laughs> we're 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 kind of like working our way through these series. Like WandaVision came out, and we have all these expectations that's gonna be this kind of thing, and it's gonna have these kind of people. And then we watched it, and we're like, oh, this is very good. Now we know what Marvel's doing because we expected like other Avengers to pop up or you know, bigger plot lines or other alternate universes, and we got what we got. And then Winter Soldier yeah. came out and Captain America. And that was okay. Like, I think, again, we knew what we got going into that as well. Uh, but this, for me, I think this is probably my favorite of the three. WandaVision very close to it. And maybe even WandaVision first because of the last episode. But I'll leave that for people's imagination so they could watch the episodes themselves. But really what I'm excited about and what I've always been excited about, even before these these ones came out, was the What If series of oh, uh, yeah. Marvel shorts. That's really been the one I'm really interested in because I always love those comic books where they're like, hey, what if this thing happened or this person got this power instead of that person? And I was like, oh, that's really a cool idea. And it seems like from the trailer that's out there right now, they really went for it. They really went for a lot of like the very, very different what ifs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the trailer looks really cool. The stories look amazing. I love the what if stuff. Like, yes. what if Spider Man was the Punisher, or what if like this? Per- <laughs> like, those things are so cool, right? Yeah. Um, and then occasionally, like a what if style story becomes an actual comic line. Like, what if Gwen Stacy was Deadpool? Or like, done. Now yes. she is. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> like, cool. Uh, but I don't know. Like, I don't know that the artwork sold me I, I don't know what it, like that rotoscopy sure. style 2d 3d thing they're doing i don't know if i love that I, maybe it'll grow yeah. on me. there's been some weird animation styles just in general in animation in the last sure. three years and the, if the story's good enough i don't care but we'll see because that, that trailer did i was like oh i don't know if i like yeah this. yeah i don't think i don't think they spent real kind of like anime money on this they just like no hey let's make this look kind of like a comic book from back in the day and mm, but i like the ideas i like the ideas that there's going to be different stuff out there and uh, obviously the first big marvel movie hit back out again uh black widow you did get a chance to see that yeah it was a weird week so yeah on friday Mm -hmm. night uh i sat down with the kids we paid the 30 dollars to disney plus and we watched black widow and i'm glad that the kids are old enough to watch it now so i didn't feel silly (laughs) spending 30 dollars to watch a movie by myself (laughs) while my wife sleeps next to me Um, so we watched it and it's funny. We were talking about this before the show, but it felt like a movie that could have been released five years ago, like right after civil war. Like it feels like the winter soldier, like just the way it's structured, the way the characters do, even the plot to some degree. Um, it feels like that, this kind of self-contained thing within the larger universe, Mm -hmm. but it does it in a way that I think works where you're not constantly wondering, where's Captain America? Where's Iron Man? Why aren't they involved sure. in any of this? Like, it makes sense that they're not. And like, it works. The story works. It's his, it's her story. And it, it, it kind of fleshes out. Um, there's some issues along the way. I mean, it's not perfect, but in terms of like an, a solo movie, like an introductory type of solo movie, if this had been released a long time ago, before everything we know about Black Widow happened to her, I think it would have been one of the better ones. I still think it is. I just, the problem being is just the context of when it was released. Like you watch it now and you're like, what's the point of this other than to do it? You know, <laughs> like it doesn't, I don't know. It just feels like this 
like you know like bottle episode it's like a bottle movie you know it's just sure a little thing doesn't impact literally anything else because it can't because it's a prequel and it's fine you know and but it's fun it was fun we had fun watching it i wonder if in the future marvel kind of like recommends or readjusts their timeline and sticks this back where it's Mm. like time appropriate so like for future audiences that they won't be watching a movie which is I never really liked this about prequels. It's like, you know, when this character dies, so you're watching the whole movie and you're like, meh, there's not really a, there's no level of danger, even, even for superhero movies where no one really dies, but you're like, you know, everyone's kind of bulletproof and and vulnerable and they bounce off every wall and hit every floor. And you're like, no, you're going to be fine. And they just get up and walk away. You're like, all right, all right. (laughs) I guess that's a thing. And, They dust themselves yeah. off and they look perfect and they're like, hey, and you're like, all right. Yeah. Okay. It's just, that's, that's, I would have liked to see, <laughs> like, it was, it was your standard Marvel movie. Like if you like yeah. the mainline Marvel movies without any kind of wacky craziness, I thought there was some really good acting performances in the, in the movie. And I thought there was some really good actors in the movie as well. And I thought when they had time to talk, I, I really liked that. And I like the beginning too. I like the beginning of the movie really a lot. What I, again, I think where it fell apart was the action scenes were kind of like just kind of jammed in there in some, in some sense. And again, it's that mainline Marvel movie. If you're, you're fine with that, I, I guess you're fine. But it did, again, for me, just it didn't really fit because again, we knew her future and the movie itself. I guess, like you said, would have been more impactful if it was in the regular timeline. But I would have liked a real assassin movie or a real spy thriller. Yes. And, you know, something a little harder considering the fact that she's actually a very good actress. And I think she could have, ha- you know, carried a heavier plot. And it was funny. I, I Like you said, there was some really enjoyable, you know, things going on there. But she was almost not the star of this movie. Like, I was just going to say that. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it's 100% that. Like, Florence Pugh ended up being the star of the movie. Like, it's her story almost, right? Yeah. Because we already know what happens to Black Widow. But then sure. her sister, or sister, quote unquote, um, yeah. it's her story. Like, that's the person you get to learn about. And she was awesome. I, I love that character. I'm glad she, hopefully she comes back, you know? Yeah. And I even like the, the um, I guess, for lack of a better term, the adopted mom and dad. Um, oh yeah obviously David top, Harbour's top awesome. line yeah. yeah top line actors and really good performances and again I wanted to spend more time with them so you could have literally taken out all of the action scenes especially the big ones at the end and just give me a more of a like a Mission Impossible James Bond kind of situation but uh, yeah check it out um, yeah I guess we're, we're kicking things off so eventually we'll start getting the, the big movies back into theaters again two months all right everyone so Let's go on to what's going on with the board game universe, especially what's going on with our listeners. Anthony, my friend, what is our question of the week? All right. I teased this last week. Um, I asked everybody what board game sequel they would like to see announced next because we were talking about Machi Koro 2 and Burgle Brothers 2 and Welcome to the Moon. So what other sequels would you like to see? So we got a few mm-hmm. answers here, which are pretty good. Uh, George says... Knows it's a long shot, but one more Mice and Mystics to close out the story. Uh, and then a bonus points if it has a mini expansion to Tail Feathers. I have not finished Mice and Mystics, what's available, but I'm 100% on board with this because I know the story kind of ends on a 
not a cliffhanger, but it doesn't really end end. I would sure. love to get like the end of that trilogy, right? And all the rights passing back and forth between those companies and now Plaid Hat being independent again. I don't think it's ever going to happen, but I would love it. You know, my kids are primed for this and we've gone through it a little bit lately and it's packed up now. Obviously you can see the boxes behind me if you're watching this on YouTube, but <laughs> it's, it, it, it's coming back out when we get to Philadelphia. Cause uh, it's been, it's become a favorite. All right. Uh, John says he'd love to see something in the Anachrony universe, kind of building on okay. that lore that they built out. Honestly, I would say anything in any Mind Clash game, because all oh, yeah. those games have a ton of universe around them. Even Tricarion, we're like, you're a magician, but there's like all this weird lore that goes into it when you start looking at the yeah. cards and reading about the characters. More of that. Do more. <laughs> um, and then David, good friend of the show, says uh, the next trilogy in the Shem Phillips games. So, uh, he mentions we have a north, uh, the North Sea, we have the Western Kingdoms, and now he'd like to go south. So what would we get in the south? Uh, more worker placement is what I would guess in the south. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I, would, I would be interested to see that as well. Um, personally, I don't know what I would like to see in terms of sequels. It's It's a weird thing where like, I think I want them and then I don't really play them like Marco Polo too. I was so over the moon about that game. I even like it more than the first game and I still don't really play it. Wow. Maybe like okay. a Russian railroads too, where you like compound everything and make it like a single game where all the, all the mechanics are together in one thing. It's sure. revised. Um, something like that, like a game that's been made better by the expansions and then they kind of rework it with all that stuff built in the start. Yeah. I think like, as you said, the mind clash games are given because their artwork and their lore is kind of touched upon, but any of those games could certainly get a second updated, revised story mode, legacy mode, multiplayer, solo kind of version of that. I guess the same thing goes for Stegmire games. If we took a look at Scythe, for example, mm. I love Fenris. Fenris is one of my favorite expansions. It just makes the game fundamentally better in every way, shape, and form. But the narratives were incredibly lacking and mm. just and the ending was incredibly just generic and disappointing. So I was just like, I really love this universe and I've invested in this universe. I would love to see a second version of the game that may be like a hundred years in the future. Where is the technology now? Where are the mechs now? You know, what's the landscape look like? And let's let's play it again, but let's play it a little sharper and a little tighter. Maybe they could they could have done something like that. So yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of potential here. There's a lot of ways to look at a board game and say, like, let's add an expansion or let's add a second edition or let's add a revision or let's add a legacy. But certainly, certainly, certainly a sequel obviously would be fantastic. Or, you know, uh, like a Marvel Cinematic Universe, like we talked about uh, yeah. you know, last week about those games that have like things that connect together and connect together and connect together. I love that. All right, everyone, if you'd like to join us on our question of the week, it's each and every day we, we're talking about the newest and best in board games. So join us on Facebook and Twitter and, of course, on YouTube. So if you're not listening to us on your podcast player, you might actually be watching us on YouTube at the moment. So like and subscribe because the more that we get people on board with board gaming, the more people that are joining you at the table. All right, Anthony, so let's get into the <laughs> stuff that we would love to talk about. Let's talk about our acquisition disorders this week. All right. So about twice a year, uh, we get a 
game on Kickstarter that I'm excited about <laughs> and Chris rolls his eyes at. And uh, at least twice time. a year. <laughs> it's well, <laughs> multiple times a year. We had we yes. had Isle of Cats kittens, you know, like a month ago, oh. um, <laughs> which I backed See? the heck out of. Backed oh, no. the heck out of. Once my house closed, I was like, "Yeah, kittens, <laughs> I'm doing it." Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so this week, I'm going to talk about an 18xx game, uh, 1947, <gasps> the decline oh, of I'm an sorry. empire, the birth of a nation. Yes, yes. I'm sorry, I fell asleep there for a minute. Go ahead. Uh, come on now, you haven't even played one. You don't even know. So. <laughs> This is on Kickstarter now from Aleph Game Studio. This is a, they've only made one, to my knowledge, to date. It's 1883, which I own. Um, and that one's, it takes place in Italy. And the difference in that game, because every 18xx game is based on 1829, 1830, the original 18xx games, but with like some tweaks to the rules, right? So it's like, it's this weird thing. Imagine if Pandemic existed and then... A hundred designers decided, let's make our own versions of Pandemic and just change like four rules, right? And then there's this huge subculture of people obsessed with it. That's what 18xx is kind of like. And and so we have 1947 is the next version in that um, from Aleph Game Studio. And it's similar to 1883, which adds event cards and a bunch of weird rule tweaks that are not typically in this type of game. We have several adjustments to the way the game is normally played right these games are known for being purely economic right it's all math it's all stuff you can look at and see in front of you and the variability comes in how the players interact with one another but it's so math heavy and so like economic that like maybe 70 percent of the way through the game you can see who's going to win and some people don't even finish the game because of that like some of these pure pure 18xx games are like we know who's going to win let's just math it out and be done right so games like this always excite me because they tweak that a little bit. They add new things. And so 1947, which takes place in India, adds a few things, right? So you have different types of shares for the for the start. You know, typically in these games, you have two types of shares. You have like the president's share and then a normal share. So like a 20 or 30% share and then a 10% share and that's it. Um, now you have like saving shares, convertible bonds. Uh, you can also go over the typical limits like there's a limit to how many certificates you can have there's a limit to how many types or how many shares in one company you can have you can break those rules in certain circumstances there's a lot of differences to the private companies as well they tweaked this a lot so you have things like the longer you hold on to a company and so like private companies are things you draft at the beginning of the game and pay for and they give you some kind of benefit typically you sell it to the company at some point like you are the player, you own the private company, you sell it to the company that you run, so you get more money for yourself, the player who can win the game. But now, like, the longer you hold it, the more it's worth. Or you can remove certain companies at the beginning of the game. Or there's, like, special private companies, like insider trading, that, like, give you special abilities that you can use throughout the game. Uh, there are workers now available that you can earn that let you break the rules in certain points. You can get through blocked stations or place extra stations on your turn or place a second tile on your turn or convert them into stockbrokers, which allow you to move your stock token additional spaces on the stock market. So like legitimately breaking the rules. This is not stuff you usually see in 18xx games because it makes the people who play these like crazy <laughs> it breaks their brain they're like no you broke the rules in my heavy math game um but there's a lot of people who also kind of enjoy that kind of stuff like it just adds more i don't know 
gamerness, like more modern type of game elements to the to the genre, right? Um, I'm super excited about this stuff. If you're a huge 18xx fan and you're listening to this, you're probably rolling your eyes at me. <laughs> Someone is like, I don't know the genre as well as a lot of people. Um, I've played maybe five or six of these, maybe a couple times each, but I love it. And I want games that are more accessible, that have more of these gamery elements to them. Um, I don't know that this is any shorter than your typical 18xx. I don't know if it's more accessible in that way, but just mechanically speaking, it has a lot of cool stuff to it. Like the map of India, for example, you have like the dry season, you have the monsoon season, like weather affects the map, like the cost of where you place things, how much money you get from them when they run. All that stuff's really cool. Core mechanics are still the same from what I can see, you know, you're going to buy stocks, you're going to place trains, you're going to run your routes, you're going to go up on the stock market, you're going to, you know, try to mess with each other and merge things. But there's a lot of other stuff kind of mixed in there with the workers and the special stockholder tokens and the stations and all that stuff. So um, I'm keeping my eye on this one. It has 20 days left. They gave like a whopping, I think, 30 days almost for this one. It is barely over its goal. Uh, only a couple hundred backers at the moment. So I don't know how many people are watching it, but the, you know, the last couple big 18 XX Kickstarters, they did pretty well. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see this one jump up a fair bit more, uh, but it's also not your typical 18 XX game. So we'll see how it does, but I am definitely keeping a close eye on it. It is fairly expensive as these games tend to be it's, uh, over a hundred dollars, but uh, not insane compared to other games in the genre. So that is 1947, The Decline of an Empire, The Birth of a Nation. It is up until August 4th. You have lots and lots of time if you want to check it out. I, I guess the one thing I could say is in a very positive way that it's great that these games are getting the marketing that they never had before because these 18XX games really just were so far off from you know any other board games any other shelf space any other convention and you wouldn't even recognize it unless you knew like what you were looking at because they're not really right. that distinct <laughs> in their art style and graphic design so you know it's nice to see that they're out there in the open and again we we've talked about this quite a lot is that you know through kickstarter and kickstarter has does a lot of really positive things and other things but it does a lot of positive things and getting exposure for games that normally wouldn't get exposure and giving 18 double X games, the opportunity to get that kind of um, development and graphic design is fantastic. Even if it's just a step up to like 1990s euros, at least it's much better and much more accessible for a, a wider audience. So yeah, yeah 100%. Awesome. I'm glad to see it. And like some of these ones that have come out recently look beautiful. Some don't, yeah. but like my copy of 18 Chesapeake, I love it. It's it's a beautiful game. And I put that out there with any other game, map-based game. It's just beautiful to look at. And, yeah. and it's just nice to see that because they used to not be that pretty. And that makes no. it more. It's like war games in the 80s. Like you, if you didn't want to play a war game, you weren't going to because they were not pretty to look at. And they're much, much better now with companies like Phalanx and the rest kind of upgrading yeah. their their look and feel and honestly like our friend eddie plays a ton of 18 double x games and when we go to convention and we, we we go to find him it's like him and like three other people looking at like a piece of graph paper and just like <laughs> some tokens and some chits and i'm just like game game right game this is a game right where 
you're not like you're not doing an Excel spreadsheet in like the worst way possible. And and that's from that's from coming from Euro gamers who enjoy those types of games. But this at least would be recognizable. This would draw a crowd. So yeah, that's great. All right. So talking about fantastic graphic design and, and obviously what Kickstarter does best is bring those indie games up front so you get an opportunity to look at something you may not look at. I want to talk about a game that's currently on Kickstarter up until Thursday, August 12th, 2021. This is Spires and Hildegard. It's a solo and cooperative card game adventure. Now, this is the second game in the Spire series. Now, this reminds me most of not choose your own adventure books, but the upgraded version. Like as you got older back in the day, when I was a kid, like you'd choose your own adventure books, which were awesome. And basically it was the idea that you would go on an adventure and you would read through the page, make a decision based upon the page and then go to that other page. And if you were smart, you held your finger in the page. So in case you had to go back and save yourself, but later on, these books really advanced and really incorporated a lot of D&D elements where you actually had to keep track of your character and your character would develop and there was sometimes dice that was involved. Well, Spires and Hildegard allows a one or two player game opportunity in which you are taking Hildegard on her first great adventure to transport this package. Now, it's a very mysterious package, possibly coming from the Spire. And if you played the original game that was also on Kickstarter... It was pretty dark. So there could be some really dark, you know, elements of the game. But this game in particular, the way they're talking about this game, and they're not giving away any of the secrets, but it's a lighter adventure game, more for family, more for just the fun. But again, some Dungeons and Dragons dark elements kind of come into play here. So basically what you're going to do is you're going to have 400 cards and you're going to have four different sections. As, as far as the adventure is concerned. And you, as you play cards, you'll make choices based on that card. When you make the choices on the card, it will tell you exactly where to go in the deck so that you can play the next card in that adventure or see the outcomes. And then you'll roll dice. And by rolling the dice, you'll be able to see if you're successful on some of the encounters. So there will be a lot of adventure material here, but there'll actually be some you know targets that you'll have to kind of face down and, you know, these are the bad guys. These are the adversaries in the game. And the artwork here is gorgeous. It really is the artwork that, that stopped me in my tracks. And I was like, it's unique. It's interesting. It's powerful and evocative. And I was like, I might need to back this. I wouldn't normally back this type of game, but I actually might need to back this game. It's a really beautiful game. And it's a very small, simple game. And again, one or two players. If you play a second player, there's a second character that comes into the game. And it's a nice little adventure in a box. Four chapters to this adventure, 400 cards, um, 12 custom dice in the game. And yeah, I mean, if you're looking to back something or to play something solo, and I think this probably plays best as solo, or even as a two-player game, you could pick this up now for a $40 pledge. And that's Spires and Hildegard, uh, solo and cooperative card game adventure check it out this looks awesome yeah i, I know I right? didn't see this before but the artwork's beautiful yeah and this is the second one in in the campaign so you can even pick up the first one as well and uh you know build up this adventure but i love the artwork here really right yeah yeah i'm gonna bookmark this this is really cool looking i'll have to like you know look at the mechanics a little bit more and make sure it's 
actually got some meat to it. A lot of these like yeah. single player, two player only games are like roll some dice. Did you win? <laughs> nope. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Very cool. All right, so that's everything that we want at the table. Anthony, let's talk about the games that actually hit the table, and we'll let people know if those games are a buy and they should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and they should sit down and play them, if those games are a dodge and they should avoid them, or if those games are the dreaded burn and they should burn them at all costs because what else are they good for? Or maybe they should recycle them. We keep saying burn, but maybe they should recycle them because I think it's more environmentally friendly. So, Anthony, what do you have up for us this week? All right. Uh, I'm going to have to take the challenge here because we are recording with Board Game Geek down. It's not working tonight. No. And <laughs> I'm reviewing Coffee Traders, which is a beast of a game. Uh, so I'm, I don't have the rules in front of me. I mean, I have the rules, the literal rules in front of me, but I don't have like all the details in front of me. So this is the new game from Capstone. Uh, just shipped like the last few weeks. Uh, it's designed by Andre Spiel and Rolf Siegel. Uh, they did mm-hmm. um, Wildcatters, I believe. So yes, like it was an earlier game from Capstone, which is very, very good. But the rule book was almost impenetrable. It was very difficult to learn. It took me a long time to get that game to the table. And I was very excited about this one because a couple of reasons. One, it's like this economic Euro game. Uh, in a unique setting, right? It's mm-hmm. It shows itself as like, oh, it's like farming, etc. But it's farming in the 1970s and 1980s in like coffee cooperatives. So it's not like colonist moves to new country, takes over and has local people grow things for him. <laughs> like it's, you know, these very, these people, investors come in and give money to help build out these cooperatives in these different countries and the workers own the plantations that they're, they're working on. Right. So like it doesn't have a problematic theme is what I'm trying to say. Um, it's all about like fair trade coffee cooperatives. And so that was cool. Uh, mechanically, it seemed very interesting. The game is a big sprawling thing. It was decently expensive. Uh, and it's in like a long box. Like if you've seen the oath box recently, um, kind of in that vein, it's a big long box. And it takes a long time to play, uh, two to three hours, but not like crazy amount of time considering how much is in the box. What's really like most reflective of what's going on in here is just how big and sprawling it is. Everybody who walked into the room when we were playing this was like, whoa, it's a lot of game because it took up a full like seven foot long table by like four feet wide. It took up the whole thing. Like the main board is massive. The player boards are massive. And you'd think that would make the game fiddly, but it really doesn't like it. It seems like it should be messier and harder to follow than it actually is. It's actually fairly straightforward because everything is printed on your player board. It all works through these five phases that you run through in the game. And at the end of the game, you know, the scoring makes sense. So I'm going to not run through the whole rules because that would take 30, 40 minutes. Because again, <laughs> it's that kind of game, but just kind of give a brief overview of what you're trying to do here. Um, Again, five phases in the game. So in the first phase, you are doing basically putting out plantations and then making sure you have workers on the plantations. So there are five different locations on the map. They correspond to different places that have coffee cooperatives. You got Brazil, Guatemala, Indonesia, uh, Ethiopia, and Colombia are the five. And so you're going to place your plantations out. Um, they're numbered. These correspond to basically just points that you can generate uh, later in the game, it's an area control type of thing for each of these five locations. You're trying to have the most influence as a trader uh, in those cooperatives. So you place your one, two, or three out. 
There is an Arabica track, that's what they call it, uh, where you move up in the five different types of coffee corresponding to these five locations. Anytime you place anything into these locations above level one, you move up on that track. Honestly, you move up on that track for almost everything you do related to these locations. So you're just gonna, that's a big chunk of the game. You're trying to move up on that track, which unlocks sure. special abilities, gives you points at the end of the game, uh, allows you to access special tokens that make other things a little bit easier all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. uh, phase two, you're placing workers out. You are making sure that all of the worker, all your plantations have workers on them. If they don't, you have to pay a penalty. So lots of penalties in this game. It is a classic Euro game. Uh, phase three is like a second action phase. So phase one, you have like three or four tokens you can use to take actions. Phase three, again, you have three or four tokens you use to take actions. So it's like two separate types of actions. So in this one, you're going to trading houses, which basically means I am in this trading house. Therefore, when this location produces coffee, I'm going to get some of it. If you don't go to that trading house, you don't get any of that coffee. In phase three, though, every action you take can be followed by other people. So you have to think strategically about what actions to take and when to wait and let someone else take the action so you can follow them. The reason why is that if you initiate an action, you pay $2. If someone else initiates the action, you do it for free, unless it's building a building, in which case you pay them a coffee. No big deal. So you have a little map here on your player board with a bunch of different buildings you can put out. These give you bonuses. They're worth points at the end of the game. They give you um, influence in that location, which can lead to area control bonuses, all that stuff. So there's a bunch of stuff you're trying to keep track of there, but essentially you're building stuff or you're investing so you can reap coffee later. Uh, phase <coughs> four is to harvest the coffee from the locations. So you go through, you count up all the different plantations that are producing based on who's there on the buildings or the traders you get coffee back you have a little coffee track to keep track of it uh phase five you complete contracts so you start the game with six contracts which doesn't seem like a lot but some of them require a lot of coffee and there's also a coffee bar on the side of the board and you're going to go through and spend your coffee in player order as many times around as it takes to place things out the coffee bar, again, is like an area control type of thing. The player with the most in each column is getting bonus points. It's not a lot of points, though, but it's also a good way to make money. Um, your contracts are by far the best way to make money and to generate other bonuses, but there's only six of them, and they're they're hard to complete. You're going to complete four or five at the most. Um, I haven't completed six yet. It seems difficult. And once you're done with that, you move on to refresh, and you start over. You only do that three times. The game has three rounds, but in each of those rounds, obviously you're doing a lot of stuff. So a few other things in the game. There are three milestones that come out at the beginning. Uh, when you complete them, you mark them completed. There are three spaces on each. So the first three players to complete it get some points. There are bonuses you get for completing contracts. Um, there's like a little sideboard on your player board where you place these little tokens and they go up. They allow you to move up the Arabica track. They also allow you to score points at the end if you get enough of them. It's a lot of stuff, right? Like I just described a ton of stuff. It took me like seven minutes to go through all that stuff. But it all makes sense. And we had our heads wrapped around the game. We made relatively few errors the first time we played. Second time, no errors at all. Wow. And it just flows in a way that you wouldn't think makes sense for the amount of stuff in front of you. Like you set this game up. And you're like, this is going to be fiddly. We're going to forget half the rules. We're going to make mistakes. And it just doesn't happen. It all kind of flows wow. more or less from what it's supposed to do through the rest of the game. Sure. Um, 
there are a few little tweaks here and there, like little things that you might forget to do or, you know, like, oh, in the contract phase, if you go to the coffee bar, you have to do two of them because if you only do one, you have to pass afterwards. People kept forgetting that, right? And as you're teaching the game, you got to keep all that stuff in your head. It takes a lot of time. Um, I love this game. I had a lot of fun with it. I'm glad I backed it. It's a buy for me. Even as a $100 wow. game, I'm really happy Jeez. I picked it up. There are a couple small things that are annoying. It is big. It takes a really long time to set it up. It takes a decent amount of time to teach it because just again, just there, it took me seven minutes to go through each of the five phases. Now multiply that times five and that's how long it takes to teach the game. Spent a little time going through all the rules there. Um, there are a couple mechanics that it seems like people have a little trouble completely grokking onto. Like you have a bonus pool of resources that you can use two of the three bonuses that are available, which is weird. But if you use the money in your bonus, you have to replace it by the end of the round or you lose a ton of points. So that's a tough one. It like, it just doesn't make sense at first. It does. If you think about it mechanically, but just in terms of the actual theme and the flow of the game, you're like, why are we doing this? But overall, everything floats smoothly. It made sense. Everybody had a good time. There wasn't like a, a weird gap where people got lost or broken or confused um, as sometimes happens of these big, long Euro games the first time through. And uh, yeah, I'm glad I picked it up. I was a little wary because it's a lot. Like when I first set it up to learn it, I was like, ugh. But it, it makes sense. Um, so if you don't mind spending 30, 40 minutes setting it up and teaching it and then 20, 30 minutes putting it away, it's a great game. <sighs> Coffee traders. <sighs> I'm I'm really excited, I'm, and I can't tell you how glad I am that you like the game because, as you said, first there's the hundred dollar price tag, yeah, and then there is the the just when you look at the pictures of it, it's just massive on the table with like a seemingly an endless number of bits. Like this is one of the games where it's like we're going to tell you how many pieces are in this game, and it's going <laughs> to impress you. And I'm like, yeah. I don't think impress is going to be the thing that it's going to come out of this. <laughs> Too many. It's a lot. I poured all the player bits into one bag for each player. Oh, geez. Right? Yeah. And so when players were dumping them out, it just creates this giant puddle in front of them. Oof. And so we're putting them away. And everybody's like, you need to separate these into different bags. Like, you need like four bags inside of the one bag. And I'm like, that's crazy. Yeah, I do. This is a mess. Um, wow. I don't know yeah. how it's not fiddly. I don't know how it's not a mess. Because there's so many bits. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, sometimes when we do, you know, we do the podcast, we do the YouTube video, we, we do the playthroughs and the reviews and stuff like that. You're like, no, people will get it. Like, this is one of those games that the price tag is high. The, the look of the game is like, nope. Like, there's every reason why this game shouldn't work and you shouldn't pick up this game. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Pick this game up. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it now. So <laughs> I'm like, damn it. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like this game, I don't know how many people are actually going to get it. Cause it is like, you look at it and it's intimidating. I almost didn't pay for it and I was excited for it. None of sure. my friends picked it up. So they like, this was like one of the games with me leaving in a couple of weeks. So like we have to play this cause Anthony has it and none of us paid for it. Yeah. Um, and so I hope people do, but at the same time I would understand if they don't, cause it's a lot. You know, it's but you should definitely play it if you can. Like, if you know somebody who has it, play it because it is very good. Sounds good. All right, so I want to talk a bit about a game with not that level of fiddliness, but certainly that level of spice. 
because what we're looking at here is Dune Imperium. This is a new game from Direwolf Games. Now, you probably know the designer is best for their Clank series, and you could get a lot of Clankness out of this. Ironically, if you know Dune as far as the movie and the book series is concerned, the last thing you want to do is make noise as you walk, because that ends bad. There's giant worms that notice that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's kind of weird how that's a crossover. I don't know if they've ever put two and two together. Maybe, they, maybe the Dune people were like, who can design a game where making noises causes a giant monster to come eat you? And and there you go. So they obviously are well you know positioned for this game. Now, Dune Imperium is very similar to Clank in a couple of different interesting ways. Now, if you don't know too much about Dune, I can spend hours talking about Dune. I'm a big fan of it, the movie, the book series, the TV shows, the whole nine yards of it. Way too long to talk about in this podcast, but... There's going to be a movie this year, and you should go see it because I think it's going to be fantastic. But in a, like I guess, a one or two line thing, Dune is about all of these different spacefaring races fighting it out for the planet Arrakis, Dune, and the the spice that allows life to do these incredible, wondrous, amazing things. So there is this kind of like Game of Thrones esque battle that's going on. And it plays out here in this board game. Now, again, if you haven't played Clank, this game is might be a little surprising to you. But basically what it is, is it's a deck builder. You start with a basic deck. And you all know deck builders, where you start with some basic cards that let you do some things. And then as the game goes on, you'll be able to purchase additional cards to upgrade your deck and opportunities to thin your deck out. What's different and interesting about Dune is that the cards will allow you to activate your workers on the board. So it's not just about playing cards, but it's actually about activating on the board. So not just moving your figure like you do in Clank, but actually if you play a card and it has a yellow spot and a green spot, now you can move your worker to either the yellow areas or the green areas. So the cards determine where the worker placement is allowed to happen. On the left side of the board is all the super powerful actions that are related to the different houses and guilds. On top, you're talking about the military actions. And in the middle, towards the right, you're going to get your opportunity to gain resources that you're going to need throughout the game. And on the bottom right is where all the action takes place. So at the end of each round, and each round is basically you're going to play your cards, and at some point you're going to just like show all your cards and gain the bonuses on the bottom of the cards. Typically, that's that's money that you'll be able to purchase other cards from. And sometimes it's actually swords that will actually give you military power in the battle that's coming up. So on your turn, you play a card. You are able to activate your worker in a particular spot. You take the resource in that particular spot, pay the resources in that particular spot. And then once everyone has played out and is passed... It comes down to the battle. Now, there's a card in the game that will basically tell you um, what the win condition is as far as like what the what you get from the battle, right? So the win condition is always who has the most military power, but the conflict cards will actually tell you what you get from that. Sometimes it's victory points towards the end. Sometimes it's water. Sometimes it's resources. Now, beyond the board that's going to give you resources and special abilities in the game and mostly troop movements and attacking and also 
adding cards to your deck, which is very important. You are going to have a leader of your particular house or guild, and that's going to give you a special ability. There's going to be a signet ring that if you play that particular card, you'll get to do that special action. But throughout the game, you will have a special ability. Some of them are very simple, like look at your next card, and some of the more complex that will actually kind of manipulate the markets throughout the game. This is a pretty standard worker placement game with some deck building put in, but really where the game shines and also has some of its problems is in the deck building because part of the game allows you to build your deck up that will benefit off certain cards in the game. So as the game is going on and as you're building your deck up, you might want to go with the Freeman or the Bene Jesuits and put more and more of their cards in your deck because their cards chain off their own houses or guilds. So the more Freeman cards you have, the more likely you are to snowball to a really great opportunity in your hand. The problem is the deck is very large. And because the deck is very large and because the the way the deck kind of lays out into the market, you might get the cards you need. Someone actually might get them before you, but there's no way to clear and reset the market. So if you're looking for something that matches your guild, for example, it may not happen until much, much down the road or may not come up at all in the game. And now you are building towards something that never you know, came to fruition. Uh, that was incredibly frustrating because the really cool part of the game is when you put together that really awesome deck and you have that really great turn where everything cycles together instead of like, oh, I'm not seeing what I like and now I have a mixture of cards that don't really kind of connect together. The other part of the game that's interesting but also problematic is the entry cards in the game. The entry cards vary greatly. Some of the entry cards, like in Lords of Waterdeep, will give you a resource. Sometimes they give you some troops. Sometimes they give you so many swords that you're practically going to win the battle. So when you go for the Intrigue deck, you really have no idea what you're getting, and someone could have a lot of military action cards, which are really what the Intrigue cards are best for, and you got plus one money to purchase a thing. I don't... That's not cool. That's not fair. Like, so many times throughout the game, you see somebody with two or three cards, and you're like... That could be dangerous or incredibly dumb. And by the end of the game, I was just like, why am I building up my military that big or going for resources? Let me go to the Intrigue deck because I got, I don't know if what the what the odds are, or the ratios are in the game, but you have a good chance of like getting five swords. And that's, I mean, it's just incredibly, you know, it just shifts radically when you play the game. So Dune Imperium is fun. It is random fun. It is chaotic fun. The The entry cards are chaotic. What comes out in the market is chaotic. What stays in the deck is chaotic. Everything else about the game is pretty standard. The worker placement spots, pretty obvious. Where you can go, what you can do, pretty straightforward. The special abilities for your leaders, pretty straightforward. Nothing's going to drive you crazy here. You only have two agents. You can pick up a third agent in the game. One last thing about the game, the board's pretty cool. Um, here's the problem with the board. It doesn't change based on player count. So yeah. you're playing with four players and it's tight and it's supposed to be tight because that's what worker placement is. It's three, you have really no problem. If it's two, do whatever you want. And there's no rules to close off sections on the board. 
So I would say that, I, I mean, honestly, I'm not going to buy this game. I'm not going to give it a buy because it's just too random and chaotic and there's no way for the market to refresh and there's no way to kind of manage those entry cards in the game. So I'm going to say it's a play. I think it's a worthy play game, but I wouldn't recommend playing it with any less than four just because I think I think that just doesn't work well in that kind of worker placement game. Now, there is an expansion coming out, and I think that's going to add more to the game, but from what I read, it's not going to change any of the dynamics of the game itself. So Dune Imperium, worth a play, but expect randomness, expect craziness, expect people to throw cards and kind of, I don't know. It just, it was fun, but it was also very frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I I had a similar experience. And again, I haven't played with a full group of people because I picked this up in the middle of the pandemic because I'm crazy and I like to waste money. (laughs) Um, But I had a similar experience playing it where I was like, this is cool. It's better than the original Dune game. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But that game (laughs) is super (laughs) random. That game is random as heck. Like, yeah, we we got a whole group of people together to play that, and it lasted like forty minutes because someone just happened to break it and win the game in the first half an hour. Wow! Woo! Lots of fun for everybody. <laughs> um, it's from the seventies. What do you want? But yeah. this game is better than that. It's a lot better than that. Sure. But yeah, there is that bit of randomness in there, and like I feel like it might be intentional. I think they might be like, "Well, Dune, it's got to have some randomness," and I'm like, "Sure, you don't need to." speak to the pedigree of the mechanics you need to speak to the pedigree of the ip which sure doesn't have to be random so i don't know um I, i'm excited to play with more people i think it'll be fun i'm happy i own it i like it but yeah i, I agree on the play i i'm probably not gonna get rid of it but if i didn't own it i probably wouldn't buy it i mean honestly if they would do something just with the market deck whether you refresh the market simply or you split up the different factions to different decks because I I mean, I lost a lot of fun in the game because I just didn't see any cards that matched the faction that I was building, you know, not even that they were taken by other players, but they weren't coming up. And I literally went through the deck and there was like two or three of them at one place in the deck and two or three of them. I'm like, okay, like that's, that happens. But you know, when you play dominion, you have access to all the different decks because you should be able to build the deck that you want. You know, Dune, at least thematically, is about alliance to certain factions or even switching alliances. You should have the ability to access the alliances, and it doesn't have it in the game, and I think that brings the game down for me. Uh, There's going to be an upgrade pack, so if you've seen the original game out there, it's a lot of cubes and really basic pieces. There's going to be minis in the deluxe pack, uh, I don't know if this will eventually, I'm assuming this will eventually be incorporated in a like deluxe version that you'll be able to pick up, but either you get the pack to upgrade your game or eventually you'll just get the upgraded game with the pieces. I think that's a bonus because there are definitely some iconic images and factions and players in this game. And I think you probably do want the upgrade pack. Yeah. All right. So yeah. that's. That's everything from our At The Table. Again, please uh, stick with us because we have new episodes and new things going on. All right, Anthony, let's get into our feature review. So our feature review this week is talking about The Dice Tower. Uh, as Board Gamers Anonymous is a proud member for seven plus seven years or so as one of their members of their podcast family. So, you know, we're, we're, we're OG. That's all I'm saying, man. 
So uh, I know that uh, I know that these awards are important to to us because it really is voted on by the players and the people that play these games obsessively, um, not as obsessively as as us, but nonetheless, they they definitely uh, have something to say. So Anthony, why don't you run us through the awards and uh, let's see how they ran? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we're gonna run through these on the order that they're on the website, but backwards because uh-huh. they have the game of the year at the top. And I'll list off the nominees and we can talk about and, and then the winner, of course. And we'll talk about like, did the right game win? Should something else have won? What did we vote for? And so on and so forth. Uh, so first up is most <laughs> innovative game nominees. We've got The Crew, The Quest for Planet Nine, Forgotten Waters, Micro Macro Crime City, The Search for Planet X and Whistle Mountain. Mm-hmm. The winner is The Crew, The Quest for Planet Nine which is actually what I voted for in this category. A lot of these are actually very innovative, but I had not played at least two of them before we voted. Uh, I don't know that Micro Macro would have beat it out now that I've played it, but I really like the crew a lot. I think it is pretty innovative for what it does. Yeah, I voted for the crew as well. Macro Micro is great, but it's always on that line of, is, is it a game or is it a game experience? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. So next up, we've got excellent in rules teaching nominees. And uh, according to the website, there was only one nominee, and it was Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion. And that's what won. So I don't know if there's a glitch here or uh, if that was literally the only nominee for this. I actually don't remember this category popping up when we did nominations. So nope. maybe they added it later. I don't know. <laughs> like, so sure. Gloomhaven won a thing. I don't know. <laughs> wow. How unexpected and rare. Uh-huh. I guess. I mean, Isaac yep. Childress does a great job, and obviously he's he's mastered this. And obviously a game like this in a big box store like Target, it has the rules have to be good. Because no one's going to deal with rules like we deal with rules. So, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I am impressed this worked. Like, Because not only did he get Gloomhaven into Target, but apparently it sold pretty well and people are happy with it. So Unbelievable. He must have really done some work on the rules. Because it's not like they were super hard, but it was it was a hobby game. And somehow he made it accessible. So good job. How, did, how does that pitch even go? Like, I'd love to be there for that pitch where he brings in like the huge Gloomhaven box and drops it down and goes, people like this. And they're like, yeah, we're not buying that. And he's like, how about this? <laughs> it's a normal box. It's still $60. <laughs> it's a normal box. It's true. <laughs> All right. Best welcoming game nominees. I think this used to be family game and they changed yeah. it to welcoming because reasons. Uh, but anyways, nominees Calico with the cute little kitty on the front. Mm-hmm. Isle of Cats with all the kitties on the front. Uh, My City, no kitties on the front. Uh, <laughs> Scooby Doo, Escape from the Haunted Mansion. There's a dog. And then Trekking the World. I don't see any animals up there. Maybe a sphinx. <laughs> uh, winner was Isle of Cats. I don't remember what I voted for here. It was probably Isle of Cats because it's the only game I had played at that point. Sure. Um, and I love it. And I think it's great for kids because it has like a super accessible, like, beginner mode to it where you ignore half the rules um my city is also very good for this trekking the world is also very good for this yeah i voted for trekking for the world i i really enjoy that game i I think it's it's a beautifully illustrated game and it's about 
just running around and going to all these exotic locations. And again, it's it's very basic. It's just a set collection game that's really easy to follow. I know a lot of people love Calico. I haven't gotten a chance to play it, mm. but a lot of people love that. And it's got an adorable kitten on the cover. So I'm not... I, I don't I don't I have a soft heart. All right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Just because I love the cats makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Isle of Cats is amazing. You don't even know. I spent so much money on the expansions. <laughs> no, why? You're only gonna encourage them to make more. Oh, that'd be so cool. They're gonna make no. more. No, stop. Yeah. I'm gonna live near you now. You have to come over oh and see gosh. the giant box on my shelf. It's gonna be That's great. so embarrassing. I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, best two player game nominees. We had Cosmic Encounter and Duel, mm-hmm. Curious Cargo, The Fox in the Forest Duet, Imperial Struggle, and Undaunted North Africa. Mm-hmm. This category always. I don't know what to do with it because most two player games that come out are pretty small and accessible like Fox in the forest, <laughs> cosmic encounter. And then you get the occasional two player game like war of the ring or Imperial struggle that take four hours to play. And those go in the same category. And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I, like I, maybe they'll split the vote. I don't know. Um, but the, the winner for here was undaunted North Africa. I did not vote for this because it's kind of just a sequel to Un- Undaunted Normandy. It's the same game, mm-hmm. but like in a different theater of war. I voted for the Fox and the Forest duet, which I think is brilliant. Like again, another cooperative trick-taking game, but so, so good. And just for me personally of the games here, I've played light years better than the rest of these. Yeah. I voted for um, Fox and the Forest duet. I love that game. I, I own a copy of it played it with you i'm like this is great this is just this is just mm-hmm. great so and it's just it's just a lot a lot of fun so yeah pick that up i mean if you want to pick up on daunted yeah. go for it but fox and the forest duet i think you're gonna love that game it's a great two-player game yep all right best theming we've got dune imperium which you just talked about forgotten mm-hmm. waters uh mariposas uh the sequel to wingspan Pan Am and Super Skill Pinball 4K. Uh, the winner of this was Forgotten Waters. This is the third game in the uh, what did I call that thing? Whatever the Dead of Winter system is. I know. Crossroad system. That's <laughs> Crossword right. system. Um, yep. There you go. Uh, Gen 7 wasn't very good. Nobody really liked that. But Forgotten Waters people loved, despite the fact it came out in May of 2020 when nobody could get together and play. But apparently everybody played it online together or something. I don't know. Um, I really want to play it. I've heard a lot of good things. Yeah, I haven't played it either. And I heard good things too. So I don't know. I mean, Mariposa was the game that I voted for. I, I think they, I think um, Elizabeth Hargrave did an excellent job imparting right. the, the massive journey uh, of these butterflies. And again, that's something that's not easy to put down in a board game. But you really do feel it when you play it. So. That was, that was pretty impactful for me as far as theming is concerned. Yeah, I think I might have voted for the same. Um, when we were in Philadelphia, we actually saw some of the uh, the Monarch Butterflies. And I was like mm. trying to describe to my kids. And I was like, I got a game at home. You guys will get it then. <laughs> there you go. Um, all right. Best strategy game nominees. I own all five of these. So I am an expert here. Uh, there we've you got go. On Mars, Beyond the Sun. Lost Ruins of Arnak, 
Dune Imperium, and Praga Caput Regni. Uh, I think you've played f- all of these too, right? I have. We've, we've yeah. both played all of these. We oh have. my gosh. <laughs> it was a pandemic the year. Lost... <laughs> I know. Somehow we got these all in. Uh, the winner is Lost Ruins of Arnak. That's what I voted for. What did you vote for? Uh, Falling Skies. I I think there's a lot of great there's a lot of great games this year, but I think as, as a solo game, Under Falling Skies, which is oh, we're so- talking about the the strategy oh, game nominees here. Oh no, no, I'm so sorry. I skipped ahead because I was so excited about Under Falling Skies. Ignore yeah. <laughs> that. Um, best strategy game, yeah, Lost Ruins of Arnak. I I, I yeah okay. yeah absolutely. That 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 was yeah. impressive in like 15 different ways. And like as you unbox it, the components as you play it, it's it really was it was it was a surprisingly good game. I mean, CGE does an excellent job already, but this was a th- I didn't find any flaws in the game. I was playing the game. I was like, no, good, good, no, even more good. Mm-hmm. This is still good. <laughs> Played it solo. I'm like, still good. <laughs> I'm just like even better maybe yeah (laughs) like how did that happen i'm like i don't know uh yeah so yeah that was that was my vote too 100 percent. yeah i was like close on on mars but on mars is i only played it a couple times before we got locked down lost ruins i played like 20 times because it was online too so um, yeah all right best solo games we already know where you're at You, you spoiled that for us a little bit we had nominees though dune imperium Dwellings of Eldervale, Lost Ruins of Arnak, also on the mm-hmm. list, Super Skill Pinball 4K, and Under Falling Skies. Mm. So my vote here was Lost Ruins because I took forever to finally play Lost... Uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> took forever to play Under Falling Skies. Even after playing it, though, I still think I like Arnak better. Arnak's uh, a better but... game, but I, I felt that Under Falling Skies was a very unique solo game. And... Yeah. 100%. It 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 just it's built to be a solo game. I mean that's that's yeah. that's the conceit there. I'm just impressed it worked. They took an 18 card game and they turned it into this big sprawling thing, and it worked. And again, you know, depending on your your mileage may vary. Like as like an old school sci fi fan or an old school video game fan, you know, shooting shooting the you know the alien invaders as they come they come down you know invader style. Uh, it was fun. It was a fun game. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, no, I definitely enjoyed it when I finally got to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Best reprint. We've got mm-hmm. Seven Wonders, second edition. Mm-hmm. Eclipse, second dawn for the galaxy. Fort, Project Elite, and Rococo Deluxe <clears throat> Edition. The winner was Rococo Deluxe Edition. Uh, I'm going to guess that you and I voted for the same game here. Fort? Did you vote for Fort? Actually, I voted for Seven Wonders to reprint. Oh, really? I, I, okay. I was surprised by that. I mean, Rococo, you know Rococo, and everyone knows I love Rococo, and I love Ian Tool's mm-hmm. artwork. And I love the fact that they reprinted this because I didn't have the jewelry expansion, so I paid, like, crazy money for this game. And it was there was a lot of problems. I mean, I just felt like mm-hmm. the reprint itself didn't, like... It was... I, I want to say it was as good as maybe, but maybe it did like, I don't want to get rid of my original copy and like a reprint right. should do that. And when I played again, and when I didn't want to get seven wonders and we actually did a, a big production for repost production uh, for one of our, our videos on Twitch. 
and I was like, oh, I got to pick up a copy of this so I can play through it so I can I can teach this game. And I own almost like literally everything for Seven Wonders. And I played this and I played it online and I'm like, damn it, this is better. Like they cleaned up oh, a no. lot of things. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, now I got to buy everything again. And now when I play online, I, d- I never play the original Seven Wonders. And I'm telling you, I have everything. I have the insert. I have the metal coins. Like, and it it just, yeah, it did it. And, I, and, I, and again, it's just, I don't know. I'm, I've just, yeah. Let's move on. It's just... <laughs> uh, good times. Yeah. Well, these are all good games. I very good games. Not... All very good games. Yes. Yep. Uh, all right. So next up was best party game. I did not vote in this category because I had not played any of these when they came out. We had Five Minute Mystery, Hughes and Cues, Master Word, Mysterium Park, and Telestrations Upside Drawn. Uh, the winner was Hughes and Cues. Had you played any of these and did you vote? I I did vote. I had played three of these, um, and I went online and looked at looked at the others. The Mysterium one I actually reviewed here during during the pandemic, and I I like I so again and surprisingly enough I like I like that. Re, I mean I consider it a reprint of Mysterium because it's basically mm. Mysterium, but you take out the murder weapon, which I think makes the game better and faster, and it it still has the same kind of family but eerie kind of feel to it so yeah i mean i i it didn't win <laughs> but i no. appreciate appreciate the effort there so yeah all right next up we got best game from a small publisher mm-hmm. uh chai dune imperium mm-hmm. honey mm-hmm. buzz praga kaput regni and project l the winner here was dune imperium I I voted for Praga Kaput Regni. I, I had trouble with this category. I have trouble with it every year because frequently the best games in this category are from like well-established designers or companies that are new. Like yeah. I think a couple years ago, the winner was uh, Thomas Lehman's new game. And I was like, well, I mean, it's the race for the galaxy guy. <laughs> it's a new publisher, but they just happened. To, it's his company. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah. Delicious Games is Vladimir Suchi's company that he started yeah. with Underwater City. So I'm like, I feel weird voting for this. But then Dune Imperium won anyways, which is the Clank company. And I'm like, all right, whatever. I don't know. I don't know what to think about this category. Um, I personally have not played the other three, so it's hard to say. Like, I know Honey Buzz, a lot of people locally really liked that. Project L, I really want to play. I haven't had a chance to get that in front of the table yet. But I don't know. This is a weird category for me every year. Yeah, I only play Praga, so I didn't vote in the category. <clears throat> but Praga, I liked a lot. But again, I had the same issue you had, which is like, I want to vote for a new publisher, but none of these are really are really new. Like, so I don't, right. you know, I, I, I just, it's just kind of an odd category. Like, you took a chance on an established brand and an established designer <laughs> like okay great um yeah, yeah dune's dune's fine <laughs> um i wouldn't have given it to dune and again i don't know because especially the pandemic and the shipping and all that other kind of stuff but the production is bad i mean we just talked about how they're coming out with a deluxe edition so right if you're going to be a small publisher and blow me away with something then do it like don't don't give me a 
a half job there. It just, it wasn't, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad production, but it wasn't a memorable, like when I think publisher, I think they did a great production of, of a game. So um, Dune Imperium, fine. I don't find necessarily a big fault in it, but it's not something that just like, oh, wow, this is incredible. You know, nope. You know, like, like right. Wingspan or something like that, you know? So. Right, right. Yeah. hundred percent agree. All right. Uh, best game from a new designer. Uh, we have Beyond the Sun, Chai, Endangered, Fossilis, uh, which I, I don't know who that's from, and then <laughs> Lost Ruins of Arnak, which is what I voted for. Uh, sure. What did you vote for? Um, this was another one I only played. I think I only played Arnak here, so I didn't vote for this category because I only have played one. I had to feel feel like I had to right. play enough for that, but. Um, yeah, Arnak has been, it's been a fantastic game. That would have been, I'm assuming that's the yeah. one I would have been voting for, but I didn't, I hadn't played it. So I didn't vote in that area enough right. at least. Yeah. 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 And, and like Elwin and Min, the two designers, they've been very active on board game geek. They released the solo module with like the whole for free. There's a digital implementation, which is amazing. I played through all of that. They have an expansion coming already. Uh, so like really impressed with their work so far. Excellent. All right. Best expansion nominees. we got Chronicles of Crime 1400, Parks Nightfall, Spirit Island, Jagged Earth, Unmatched, Cobble and Fog, and then Wingspan Oceania. I always say that word wrong. Um, <laughs> the winner was Chronicles of Crime 1400. I'm a little surprised by that because that's a system that has a ton of expansions with a bunch of content coming out for it. Yeah. I have not personally played the expansion content, but I played a lot of the original stuff. It's very good. Uh, mm-hmm. It's very unique. It won like most innovative in the past. For me, it was jagged earth. Like yeah. so much stuff in that expansion. So much just explode what you can do in that game. Uh, but wingspan also would have been a good one. Yeah. I mean, I picked up some of these, but did not get these to the table. So I didn't vote in that category. All right. Uh, best cooperative game. We've got Qu- uh, The Crew, Pl- Quest for Planet Nine, Endangered, Forgotten Waters, Marvel United, Pandemic Legacies Season Zero. Uh, it was The Crew for me. Love that game. Simple enough. I've, I've already mentioned why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's The Crew for me as well. Uh, best board game production. We got Dwellings of Eldervale, Honey Buzz on Mars. Tang Garden, Tidal Blades, Heroes of the Reef. I think I actually voted for Dwellings of Eldervale. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think I actually voted for Dwellings of Eldervale here, despite the fact that I haven't played it because just it's production. Look at it on the table, right? It's it's. <laughs> I mean, this was. I think this was the best year in a very long time as far as this this quality is concerned. Um, Tidal Blades is fantastic on the table. I mean, some of these games are. None of these games are bad. The, all these games could easily be winners. This was the one I voted for as well. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up, we have best artwork. This is your category, Chris. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've got Etherfields, Forgotten Waters, Lost Ruins of Arnak, Oceans, and Tidal Blades. What did you vote for? Actually, I, I voted for Lost Ruins of Arnak. I, again, I, I thought that they had the biggest mountain to climb 
because I thought that the artwork here could have easily gone really problematic or really cheap or really dumb or really silly. And I, and I think that it was, they nailed it. I just thought that like they gave, it wasn't uncanny Valley. It, it, it was just, it was a very rich production and on the board, on the cards, even the box cover, it was a very like, it, it definitely had that Indiana Jones kind of like adventure kind of theme to it. And it was, it wasn't like giant monsters, you know, it wasn't like you had to do something and, and the artwork was consistent throughout. So um, yeah, that's what it was for me. Yep. And that, that is everybody else. That's also what I voted for. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Great artwork there. And then last but not least, we have game of the year. So uh, more nominees here. We had Calico, The Crew, mm-hmm. Quest for Planet Nine, Dune Imperium, Dwellings of Eldervale, Forgotten Waters, The Isle of Cats, Lost Ruins of Arnak, Viscounts of the West Kingdom, and Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. So the winner was The Crew, the Quest for Planet Nine. Also the winner of the Kenner Spieldest Yards last year. So mm-hmm. uh, lots of people loving this game. I love this game. I don't think I voted for it personally. I think I picked Arnak, but this was my number two, if, if you had to ask me. Um, yeah. Partially because I had not played all the games on this list, but even now having played more of them, I still think for me it's Arnak, the crew, and then the rest are like, I don't know. <laughs> like I played four of the rest of them, and I'm just like, it's fine. Um but those two in particular are great. Yeah, Arnak was the one that I voted for. I, I mean, the crew's the crew nails it as far as a co-op game is concerned, and even innovation, um, doing something different with a standard trick-taking game and doing so many different things. But Arnak was exceptional, and, and that's that was my vote for it. Um, the only one that kind of came close to it was on Mars, where mm. it just had so much to it. But again, I, I thought that was a little. Um, a little more challenging to penetrate for most people. Um, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, On Mars was our game of the year. Yeah. And I nominated it and I voted for the nomination to make it to this list of same game here. of the year nominees and it did not make it. So yeah. I had same here. I, just, I did the was, same thing. That's a tough one. It shipped in January last year. I don't think enough people got a chance to play it. But also, it's a Lacerda game. It's like a 4.5 weight. It's just, it's difficult. Um, that game is brilliant, though. That definitely would have been my vote, I think, had it been on the list. I, 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 I Let me say it now, so we'll see it in the future. I, I guarantee, at least on some level, that the expansion, because I think the expansion Ooh, for On Mars yes. is going to blow up big time. I think people are going to, like, once they see that, they're going to come back and they're going to pick that game up big time. I think that we're going to see that expansion blow up this, this coming year. Or when actually, yeah. when it actually finally ships. <laughs> Cuddly knows these days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this or watching this now, the Kickstarter just went up on the 15th. So yeah. we're recording this like the day before, but we've already seen kind of the information about it and watched the videos. Yep. Looks really good. It so. does. And it's different. And I think it, it's going to get people yep. to the table because I think the Lacerda games can be a little um, either sometimes for like the general audience obtuse or distant you know emotionally i think i think the aliens coming in on this is really going to pop the game a lot yep all right well that's the game of the year for the dice tower awards 2021 
Uh, we hope you enjoyed kind of running down this list. If you have not picked these games up, please do so. They're a lot of fun to get to the table and a lot of great things. Congratulations to all the winners. Well-deserved, really great year, tough year, tight year throughout. And especially the nominees, really, again, it was not an easy list to kind of kind of sort through, especially during the pandemic year. So um, that might have also played with some of the uh, the voting and what was able to get to the table this year. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table with the Dice Tower Awards 2021. Take care, everyone. Bye.